0: Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Chris. I'm the senior minister here at ABC, and it's my privilege to be taking you through the third part of this uh, series that's been so beautifully introduced to us uh, through that um, series intro video, this series that we're calling Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. And uh, it's great to have you with us this morning, whether you're here on site, or whether you're engaging with us online, it's wonderful for you to be connecting with us, and we're really privileged that you would do that. And uh, we hope and pray that throughout this series, in dealing with this really practical subject about how we can make better decisions, that you're finding it helpful no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. And we've been saying so far through this series, and we're going to keep saying it all the way through to the end, that our decisions are like the steering wheels of our experiences, that our decisions set the direction and quality of our lives. And if we're constantly making poor decisions, then things usually in our lives will be going badly, If we're making good decisions, then there's a better chance that our lives will be heading in a good direction. And we've been saying that, you know, when we make our decisions, then it can keep us on the road that we would want to be headed down with our lives. Or sometimes if we're making the wrong decisions, it can be like we're veering off the road and we can end up very easily in the ditch. And you know this, don't you? Because we've all, no matter who we are, we've made good decisions in our lives and we've made some not so good decisions in our lives and we've veered off and felt like we've ended up in the ditch. Or sometimes we need to make decisions with our lives that avoid the obstacles that are strewn out for us in the way as we go through life. And we've been wanting to make decisions that steer us around the obstacles, not straight into them. And of course, it's not like we're traveling by ourselves. Very often our decisions are impacting other people. It's like we've got other people in the car with us. And our decisions are impacting them. So what if there were a way to make better decisions? I think we would all want that, wouldn't we? What if there were a way that we could make better decisions and therefore have fewer regrets down the, down the road? What if there were a way to ensure that when we look back, we don't look back and go, oh, I really messed that up. I should have done something different there. Rather, we look back and say, well, I'm really glad I decided to do that. Look how that worked out. And we've, again, all had experiences in our lives where we've made decisions and we look back and we think, oh, I can really see that I made a great one there. Or we've made a decision, we look back and we think, ah, that wasn't so great. So we're saying that in order to make better decisions, we think there are five questions that we could be asking that would help us when we're faced with a decision or that we could train ourselves to think about, maybe even subconsciously, when we're making decisions that would help us avoid the obstacles in the road, take the right turn, keep life going in the right direction. And when we began the series a couple of weeks ago, we started with this question we called the integrity question. And we said, am I being honest with myself, really? Am I really being honest with myself? Why am I making this decision? And then last week, Rob talked to us about the legacy question. What legacy do I want to leave? Or what do I want uh, the story of my life to tell? What story do I want to tell with my life? And today we get to the third question. This is called the conscience question. And we're putting the conscience question like this, is there attention that deserves my attention? Now let me try and explain that. Do you ever have a situation where you're faced with a decision or a dilemma and you feel your conscience poking you or prodding you, like that sort of nagging person on your shoulder saying, are you really sure you want to do that or shouldn't you really be doing that? Do you ever have that sort of situation where that's going on? And do you ever have that situation, and all of us have done this, I'm sure, where we're thinking about doing something and we hear that kind of voice saying to us, oh, you don't want to do that. And we say, well, what do you know? And you do it anyway. Actually, we're saying, when we get that sort of nagging sense of, are we sure this is the right thing to do? That actually we should pay attention to the tension that that's creating. If something's bothering you, about a decision that you're looking at, maybe we should let it bother us. If something's bothering you, maybe you should let it bother you. Is there something about this that doesn't seem quite right? Is there something I should be doing here that's different to what I'm currently doing? And if there is, let's not take the time to rush away. Let's take the time to pause and pay attention to that tension. Don't rush by it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Let it bother you. Now, it may be, that as we pay attention to it, it's right to ignore it and push on. Or it may be actually there's something in that that we need to change. The problem is that so often when we get that nagging sense or that doubt or that tension, we're in a rush, so we ignore it. Or the salesperson in our head speaks to us louder than that prodding or poking, and so we ignore it. Or we think to ourselves, well, this doesn't appear to be bothering anybody else, so why should I let this bother me? And sometimes it's other people who raise the tension. Chris, that sounds like a really good idea. Just one slight issue. Isn't it illegal? Or Chris, what if your wife found out about that? How would she feel? Or is that really something you want to do? What does your contract say? What if your boss finds out? And sometimes it's other people who raise attention in our conscience. But again, the problem with that is we're so quick to discount the truth teller. I mean, how many times do you do this? And this is certainly true for me, I'm confessing. That when somebody comes and speaks a word of truth to me, my initial reaction is usually highly defensive. Well, what do you know? well, I've seen how you do X, Y, and Z. Who are you to tell me how I should do A, B, or C? And then how often, in hindsight, have we looked back and gone, yeah, they were right, you know. They were right. Should have paid attention to them. The conscience question asks, is there something in that? Is there something when somebody else speaks to us? Is there something when we hear that kind of inner voice that we should pay attention to? Is there attention... That deserves my attention. If my conscience is being poked or prodded by me or someone else, maybe I should pay attention to that. And we're going to unpack that this morning. And uh, what I think is so great about this series is it's so practically applicable to all of us. So this is your first time with us, or maybe you'd say, look, I'm not sure where I stand on all this God stuff, but I I like what you're doing at Andover Baptist Church, I just want to find out a little bit more, or maybe you're on YouTube and you're watching this and you're coming across it because you've done some sort of search on YouTube for conscience and we've popped up, and you say, well, I don't believe this God stuff at all. Well, the good news is this is practically applicable for all of us, wherever we are on our faith journey. Whether you're not sure what you believe about God or whether you're a Jesus follower and you've been a Jesus follower for years. And what I want to do as I unpack this this morning is I want to uh, uh, pull out the story or a story from the Old Testament part of the Bible that I think illustrates this conscience question perhaps better than any other story, certainly from the Old Testament part of the Bible. And it's the story of a guy called David who was destined to be king. And in fact, he would become king. He'd become king of the people of Israel, a gathered group of people, the people of God. And David would be their second king. But our story today comes from the time before he was king. And we know about this story because we have a book in the Old Testament part of the Bible called 1 Samuel. Because this chap Samuel was really heavily involved in David becoming king and David being called to become king. And in that book, we read about David's kind of journey. But as I said, this story comes from before David was king. David was a shepherd boy. He grew up in a large family. uh, And this prophet came to him one day and came to his family and said, this guy, David, this humble shepherd boy will one day be anointed king by God. Saul was the first king of the people of Israel, and Saul didn't really do a very good job. And David sort of uh, 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 came to people's attention, David kind of got fame when he engaged with a giant of a man called Goliath in battle and defeated him. And many of us, I'm sure, will have heard the story of David and Goliath, even if we're not a church person. We may have heard of that story. And David, through slaying the giant Goliath, gained huge popularity, and people flocked to his side, and men flocked to his side to become part of kind of a, a band of brothers. And Saul didn't like it. And Saul wanted his son to be king, not David, So Saul set out to destroy David. So David and his band of brothers were forced to hide out. They were a group without a home. They were forced to hide out in the desert. And this is where we pick up the story. And I'm going to read uh, from 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 24, starting at verse 1, for a few verses. And here is where we pick up the story with David and his band of brothers uh, hiding out in the desert from Saul. So we read this. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the, in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So Saul took 3,000 men. Now we need to understand in ancient times this would have been a huge army. This is how scared Saul is of David. David's just got a small uh, gang of buddies out in the desert. But Saul is so worried because David has uh, acquired this status as a great warrior. And he has this huge military prowess. And Saul is so worried that Saul sets out with this huge group to go and find David and to kill him. And Saul and his men are winding their way through the rocky, windswept hills of the desert of En-Gedi. And Saul halts the column. Saul halts the column of men in his army because, not to put too fine a point on it, he needs to answer the call of nature. So Paul, uh, Saul stops, and here's what we read on in verse 3. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. So imagine this, David has scattered his men around the desert and the mountains and the caves of En-Gedi because David knows Saul is coming after him. And David and his now subgroup of the not very big group in the first place are now hiding in a cave. And he sees Saul and this great army, probably saw the dust coming up from a vast distance and they were getting closer and closer and closer. And David and his men are hiding in the cave, just hoping and praying that Saul and his men just pass them by. And that all looks like that's exactly what's going to happen until Saul, well, he needs, in the polite language of this text, to relieve himself. And Saul gets, uh, dismounts, gets off, comes into the cave where David and his men, the exact cave where David and his men are hiding out. So you imagine David and his men pressing themselves further back into the darkness at the back of the cave. And you watch and you see Saul coming and thinking, well, there's lots of caves to choose from here, Saul. And Saul gets closer and closer and then eventually comes in, and Saul comes out of the bright light and heat of the Middle Eastern day into the cave, and David and his gang are pressed at the back, and Saul's eyes would have taken ages to get adjusted to the dark, so Saul just comes into the entrance, turns his back on David and his men, takes his robe off and squats down to answer the call of nature. David's men see this as a perfect opportunity. I mean, it's perfect, isn't it? To get rid of Saul once and for all and all those problems that Saul is causing for them. Look, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of. This is the men speaking to David. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So uh, David's friends are saying to him, come on, take a knife, finish it, here, now. While Saul... Looking in the opposite direction and concentrating on other things, surely this was a sign. Surely this was a sign that David, uh, Saul, had been delivered into David's hands. So David creeps forward. Picture the scene: David creeps forward, but suddenly something else happens. Something pokes at David's conscience. He feels a tension. He stops to pay attention to it. Something is bothering him about this whole situation. So look what happens. Then David crept up unnoticed, and instead of slitting Saul's throat, he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. What? Here's this amazing opportunity. It looks heaven sent. And David, instead of cutting Saul's throat, cuts a corner off his robe. Maybe everybody else in that moment would have cut Saul's throat. That's what everybody else would have done. And certainly what everybody else would have understood if David had done that. And everybody else would probably have cheered and applauded. But David, suddenly realising what he was about to do as he crept up behind Saul, felt a tension, a poking of his conscience. He must have thought to himself, look, I'm about to murder the king. This isn't war. This isn't combat, this is murder, this can't be right. And besides, David would have thought to himself, who put Saul on the throne in the first place? And I'm talking there about the kingly throne, not... Sorry, is everybody getting that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just got that. I didn't put that in my notes. I just got that as I was partway through. I thought, oh, there's a little thing here I can do here with throne. Anyway, <laughs> so who put Saul on the kingly throne in the first place? Who did that? Well, it was God. And David thought, who am I to replace God's plan? Who am I to do what God has not given to be done? I can't kill the king, even if the king is trying to kill me. Despite the pressure to act and the expectations of everyone else, David changes course. And David didn't know the outcome of this decision. It could have been that that when all of this was said and done, Saul continued to pursue him. And indeed sought to kill him. He didn't know what was going to happen as a result of that decision. He couldn't be sure. But perhaps he was thinking about the story that would be told one day in the future. Rob was sharing this so well with us last week. And I really encourage you, if you didn't hear last week's talk, to go back and find it on YouTube and listen to it. But Paul, uh, um, Paul, Rob was saying to us last week that uh, we need to think about the story that we want to tell with our lives. Well, could you imagine this? The story that would be told in the future that he would be the one who murdered the king is that the story he wanted to be told about him can you imagine this when david was sitting with his grandchildren them turning up to him and sitting on his knee and say tell us again grandpa tell us about the story of you uh, how you snuck up behind king saul while he was on the potty and slit his throat it's not a great story is it to be told But also you should know that cutting the robe wasn't a small thing because the robe was a sign of kingship. So David wasn't copping out here. David was still doing something really significant that would have a huge impact and sign. Look what David says about all of this. Afterward, so David is now reflecting on this whole situation. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for even having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid it that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So even after all of this, David actually is conscious-stricken that he's even cut a corner of the road because that was such a significant thing to do. And he commands his men not to lay a hand on Saul. And if you read the rest of the story, and I encourage you to do that, you'll see that when Saul left and had gone a distance away, David actually went to the mouth of the cave and called after him and showed him the cut corner of the robe and said, look, I could have killed you, but I chose not to. And that gave Saul pause for thought. And so Saul left. And several chapters later in the story, Saul dies in battle. And David does become king, so it works out. But David didn't know that at the time, but he paid attention to the tension anyway. Now, just like David, we probably don't know what the future holds if we pay attention to our consciences when we're faced with a big decision or even just in the course of our everyday lives. It may not work out as well for us. If we take a different route because of the, the poking and prodding of our conscience, it may not work out as well for us as it did for David. But David didn't know that, and we would therefore still, still do well to let that thing that bothers us, bothers us bother us. To ask these kinds of questions is there a hesitation in my spirit? Is there a tension here that deserves my attention? And if you're facing a decision right now, whether you're here on site or whether you're online, if you're facing a decision right now, is there something that isn't sitting quite right with you? Or is someone else saying to you, are you sure that's a good idea? Or maybe you're asking yourself, is there something I should be doing here that I'm not currently doing? And you sense that kind of tension. You know, I really believe that this is one of the ways that God speaks to us. Because, you see, I believe and Christians believe that God has made us as human beings. And our conscience is part of the way that God has made us. Our conscience is one of the things that separates us from the animal kingdom. And it's one of the things that's very difficult to explain without God. Why do human beings have a conscience? Well, if you're a Christian, you believe that we have a conscience because this is how God made us, because there is a God and He created us and He gave this to us. So I think we would do really well to pay attention to the tension, to allow others to help us, to seek the wise counsel of friends. You won't regret it. Is there something right now that you're facing? Where you sense attention. Or perhaps things are okay for you and you haven't got these decisions that you're facing right now. Can I encourage, I wanna encourage us to train our consciences because we can do that by taking time with God, by pressing into who God is, by reading his word to us in the Bible, by sharing with other friends, by being part of small groups like the Connect groups that we have here at ABC, by being involved and attending regularly online or on-site, by sharing with others, by finding wise friends, by asking them to pray for us. All of these ways are ways that we begin to train our consciences into the way that God would want them to be. So that when those moments come, and maybe they're short, sharp instances, like there were in that story, David didn't have a huge amount of time to think about all of this, but his conscience was trained that it provoked and prompted him just at the right moment to make a change, to do something differently. I want to encourage us to do that with our consciences, to hear God speak to us through them. And so next time we face a decision, and it could be an instant one, should I do this, do that, take this choice, not take that choice. My boss is saying, do this or do that, and it feels uncomfortable to me. When we're in those instant moments, our consciences are ready to prompt us. And then I want to say, when that's happening, pay attention. Now, sometimes it may not be helpful, and actually it may be the wrong thing, but nothing, no damage is done by stopping to pay attention and asking, is there something in this or not? I wanna finish just with a a story. Uh, And uh, a few years ago, I was very happily ensconced in a role as a senior minister of a church. I'd been there a very long time and I was happy and things were going great. And we came to this church one uh, Sunday to speak at an event that was involving another member of my family. And there was a lunch afterwards, and I know, because I'm looking around the room, a few of you were there, and in fact, uh, we were in the garden of some people who were here this morning for that lunch, and we went to that lunch, and we were just sitting around having a chat, and we were chatting to people and stuff like that. And uh, uh, a couple of people spoke to me, and just it felt completely out of the blue, if I'm honest. And they said to me, you know, our uh, senior minister is about to uh, move. You ever thought about coming to Andover to be the senior minister here? And I've never forgiven them, those people. No, that's a joke. That's a complete <laughs> joke. That's a total joke, sorry. Spoiling the moment. Uh, it's a joke. And, uh, uh, and, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. And I, uh, that some of those people are in the room this morning that I think I blustered my way through that some sort of answer and uh, I just not really uh, thought about it. And then sat in the car on the way home and we had some conversations in the car on the way home. And we went. Do you know what? Just wonder if there might be something in that. And my conscience, this voice, and I believe it was God, started speaking. And we then embarked on a really kind of long journey to end up where we've ended up. Uh, me coming here about five and a half years ago, but it was because we stopped and paid attention. It created attention, believe me, it created attention, and it bothered us something royal because it meant doing, moving and all sorts of stuff. It created attention, but I hope and think and believe that it was worth paying attention to. What's God doing in you and for you? Who are those people that are speaking those things into your life? And when they do, are you stopping to pay attention? Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for this series, and we thank you uh, that you're helping us think through, are there ways for us to make better decisions as we go forward? Thank you that you have made us uniquely and wonderfully and beautifully. We thank you that as human beings, you have made us different from the rest of the world we see around and about us. Oh Lord God, help us to pay attention when that quiet voice whispers in our spirit, when our conscience begins to prod and poke us, help us to pay attention. And I just want to pray for anybody who's here in the room this morning, who's online with us today, who's facing a decision right now, or just really aware as I've been speaking, that, oh yeah, that's me. Something's bothering me. I think I've got to make this decision, but there's just something that doesn't feel right, or there's a tension here. Lord, give your wisdom, I pray. As they pay attention to that, I pray that, you'll give your wisdom and guidance and direction. Lord God, help us each one to be brave and bold in paying attention to that hesitation in our spirit or that tension that comes from our conscience and lead us and guide us into making better decisions so we have fewer regrets further down the road. Amen.